Greetings and welcome to the writings of Soren Kierkegaard. I am Bierkegaard. Today we are going to continue in uh, upbuilding discourse number five. I hope you guys enjoyed. I know I did having Jeremiah Miller uh, join the podcast last week. Uh, he's a great guy and uh, very much uh, in in uh, in a passionate way, uh, interested in um, Soren Kierkegaard as I, as I am. So it's nice to meet people that are similar to us. That's that's a basis of friendship. They uh, say opposites attract, uh, but the research shows that they may attract each other, but at some point it's going to cause friction unless they're flexible. Uh, so our friendships are usually based on shared values, shared interests, uh, shared activities, things like that. So uh, we're a bit different. He's uh, much more polished than I am, of course, as an actor, professional actor. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a little bit more elderly than he is. I think that's fair to say. Uh, use the word uh, elderly because I feel elderly sometimes uh, with my diet and some of the things that are going on. It's not a bad thing, though. There's a place and a time for everything, so uh, just enjoy the stage that you're in, whatever part of life that you're in age-wise, and whatever you're doing. Try to enjoy it while you're there, because uh, it'll be gone soon enough, and you'll be moved on to something else. It's like when you have little kids, you know. Uh, it's hard uh, raising children, but there's times of joy, and uh, take a moment to step back and just appreciate that while it happens, and remember how they're going to grow up, and Hopefully going to move on at some point and leave the house and start their own lives as adults. So facing uh, adversity and prosperity. I'd originally had called the pod podcast two episodes ago, Fearing Adversity and Prosperity. And I, it's hard to tell like what Soren's uh, preference would be, whether it be facing or fearing. But fearing is not a bad thing. We've talked about that before. Fearing keeps us from uh, touching uh, hot things. It keeps us from jumping off of high, high things. It keeps us from uh, all kinds of dangers. So fear is not a bad thing. Too much fear is paralyzing, but too little is dangerous. Also, we've covered that ground before. Walked that path before. Now we should also uh, fear prosperity because it can lead to pride and presumption. Possessions uh, create stress. The more that you have, the more you have to wrap your arms around it to feel like you have to protect it, whether it's online with assets or physical property. Um, if you have a, a large house, it's a target for theft. Uh, you know, I know with all the security systems now, it's less, it's less easy to do that than in the past. But the more, the more that you have, the more that you can lose. So we should fear prosperity in, in, in terms of what it does to us inwardly. That can make us uh, people that are insensitive to people that are less well off. It should make us generous. It's pretty uh, common that people that have less income are more generous percentage-wise with their money than people that are wealthy. Uh, wealth tends to create selfishness. Um, the scriptures clearly teach that. It's not just a neutral money. Money can uh, bring out work, uh, bad things in us if we are inclined to uh, pursue bad things. And with money, we can get any bad thing we want. Any other thing out there, drugs, uh, pornography, prostitution, 
illicit gains, cheating, all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm getting that. So I, I, I went back and changed the episode title to Facing Adversity and Prosperity because I, I thought it was maybe a little bit better to call about facing it. Fearing it sounds like you crawl in the corner and you hide from it. I don't think that's the right approach, fearing adversity and prosperity. You have to kind of face these things and walk through them. And I think that's probably the way to go. And Thanksgiving is, is the way to, uh, is to awaken that inner person inside of us. And it strengthens the inner being through Thanksgiving. So when we're going through either prosperity or uh, prosperity is to be thankful. To be thankful about it. That God in heaven is, is looking out for us and cares for us. Regardless of the circumstances, he still loves us. And you have to hold on to that. Uh, there's a verse in uh, Hebrews 5.8, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So Jesus himself encountered this life and its full manifestations. And, uh, talk about being prosperous. You're the son of God. You have the entire creation at your disposal. But he learned, uh, he learned how to face adversity because he put himself into the lion's jaw, so to speak. Um, I like the Aramaic translation even better than the translation I just read, which is, uh, although he is the son, he's not, wasn't, it's not was the son, he is the son, it's eternal, uh, before time began, and until time ends, he's still the son, so I like the Aramaic translation, although he is the son, he learned obedience by the fear and suffering that he endured, uh, so his sonship is not past tense, so was leads in that direction, although it's property use was too, like I was the son of such and such. I'm still the son though, but fear is appropriate, so, um, but I like the idea of facing it, face it, because uh, facing it's a larger word, and maybe has fear in it, but facing it means we're dealing with it versus hiding from it, running from it. There's times we should run from adversity if we can get away lawfully. It's okay. Paul used that in terms of the persecutions that he faced. He used his uh, status as a Roman citizen often to uh, hold others accountable and to avoid uh, cruel and unusual punishment. Was, uh, the Romans treated their own better than others, of course. Um, but there's times you have to take it. You can't run. You, at some point, you have to stand your ground and do that. And there's other times that you can you can uh, depart from it. Jesus, uh, there's that verse when he went back to Nazareth that the townspeople, after he read that scroll of Isaiah, wanted to throw him off the mountain or off the cliff, and he just walked through them in some su supernatural, some supernatural uh, type of action. Uh, so it's okay, it's okay to depart from it. If you don't have to take it, don't take it. Don't be a masochist like we talked about last week, uh, unusual masochist or a sadist harming others. Uh, but if you have to take it, take it, and take it take it with a sense of calmness, and God can use it, of course. Um, so it says in Hebrews um, 5, 8, that uh, although he is the son, he learned obedience by the fear and suffering that he endured. So the fear word is used in terms of reference to that. So Jesus uh, had to deal with a sinful world and sinful humanity. But the person in whose soul the inner being announces itself in that concern does not rejoice when he discovers that he has power. Um, so how to deal with prosperity? He becomes uneasy, almost afraid for himself. 
I think if you have if you have uh, possessions and prosperity, it's good to be reticent. It's good to be cautious. Uh, it's going to all be given back at some point uh, when you pass away, regardless, or given to your heirs. Uh, so it's good to be reticent and not hold on to it too tightly because you're going to have to let go of it eventually. Um, and this concern uh, energizes and engenders st strengthening in the inner being. Uh, so that can, it can uh, anything in God's hands can work in that direction for sure. Who would know how to speak about the delights of riches better than the one who lives on crumbs? Who would describe power and might more glowingly than the person who sighs in bondage? Who would portray the beauty of human society more ravishingly than the person who lives in solitude? But the one who would know how to describe it may not always have understood himself. But if he did not understand himself, how could he understand in the deeper sense what is outside of him but on the other hand he understood himself or tried to understand himself if he truly was concerned about understanding himself if the inner being announced itself within him in that concern then he will understand prosperity then he will understand the significance of its being denied him then he will not occupy himself with flights of fancy and fortify himself with dreams but in his adversity will be concerned about himself then adversity will serve such a person for strengthening in the inner being. It's probably true that there are people who grow up in poverty that vow to themselves through hard work and intelligence and craft and uh, just just a stick to to you know, have wealth when they get older. And some do. Uh, they use all that they use all that energy and all that focus to accomplish uh, their desire to have wealth. And one of the things that's not that unusual is that people attain wealth and they realize that it, although it's good to have money to a point where you're not being chased by the debtors and getting credit card uh, notices that your account is overdrawn or you can't pay your bills or you get evicted, that, those are, there's, no, there's no glory in that, of course, unless you're just, just you're being persecuted or you just had a bad deal in life. Uh, so you need a certain amount of money to take care of your business and to be responsible and pay your bills and all the things we just talked about. But someone who grew up poor, who's kind of imagined wealth, can create a sense of joy and peace, will realize that they put their faith in something that was pretty weak. Because uh, I, I grew up in a very rich area of the United States called the Main Line. And uh, one thing I learned, and I couldn't put my finger on it when I was a kid because I didn't have the vocabulary or the spiritual insight, but there was a lot of misery with wealth. There was a lot of misery. You know, the houses were beautiful. The lawns were well-groomed. The cars were fancy. The schools were well-equipped. But there was a lot of, was a lot of heartache behind the scenes because um, one thing money does, it creates that idea. There's a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of chiefs and no Indians, and that's a bit of a pejorative saying these days, but... Uh, it doesn't create the ability to uh, follow. Um, you work in a school, for example, that has a lot of wealth. Uh, pretty soon the parents are bossing you around. And I'm not talking about parents being legitimately concerned about their children, but let's say you wrote an honest recommendation for college and the parent uh, demands to see it, which is considered not proper, but say they said, I demand that you, uh, you show me that recommendation. 
You can refuse to show it to them, but you're going to be in trouble. But if you do show it to them, it doesn't meet their standard. You can have a lot of trouble. Uh, so I just know from growing up in an area that had a lot of money that it's an idol and it crumbles in your hand the more pressure you put on it. Um, I don't, just, uh, just know that from first-hand experience, and I much prefer living up here, which is not as socioeconomically uh, uh, advanced or privileged. Uh, but I know when I go back to my hometown and in the area, I can see it in the traffic. People are pushy, more pushy than here. I can see it in stores where people get very, very impatient quickly with cashiers and lines. I see it in restaurants. Um, I don't know. I just pick up on the spirit because I know what it, what it feels like. And so I much prefer to be in an area that's a little bit more humble. Uh, Lancashire is prosperous, but not in an ostentatious way. Hardship does indeed make everyone concerned, but it does it does does it always make one concerned about God? Uh, Soren's asking that a question. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, there's there's that scripture verse that says that uh, the sorrow that God gives uh, causes repentance, but there's a sorrow that leads to death if it's not given to God. Uh, so there's a difference. Christians uh, should mourn and have uh, a better way of handling hardship. It should be for our good. But it says that godly sorrow leads to repentance, but worldly sorrow leads to death. Hardship does indeed make everyone concerned, but it is, does it always make one concerned about God? Has not life more frequently affirmed the truth or those earnest words that are spoken by the same one who warned against prosperity and that therefore have the ring of profound meaning that hardships too are temptations? Uh, look at him, the concerned one. Look more closely at him. You hardly recognize him from the time he walked out. Uh, he walked out uh, into life very joyful, strong, confident. And you see a lot, a lot, a lot of this with kids. You know, optimism can be a trait of the young versus the old to get cynical and jaded. You see with that with teachers. Younger teachers are much more optimistic and much more. Much more uh, energetic, and then if you've been around 25 years and taking your licks, uh, you don't project the same energy and the same uh, same enthusiasm, of course. Uh, but you see the same teacher that goes through that progression that we're young and bright, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, as they say, like a rabbit, first thing in the morning, and then you see them towards the end of their career, and they're they're jaded and cynical. I try to avoid being cynical. It's an easy response to struggle, just to be cynical. Try to still withhold and still uh, withstand and still put forth uh, hope because the kids need that. His destiny in life was it was to him so clear and so desirable. His mind knew his ambition. His heart was in it. His strength worked trustingly and hope promised him success. There is a hope that is heaven's fatherly gift to the child, a hope that grows with the child, a hope uh, with which the young person goes out into life. This hope guarantees everything for him. Indeed, who but the Lord God in heaven gives him, gave him that hope should not be then be valid out in the world, wide world, in all the kingdoms and all the countries that belong to the heavenly king who gave it to him. But this was not the case, and soon hardships had wrested from uh, the stronger or tricked from the weaker his beautiful hope. Then everything became confused for him. No longer was there a sovereign in heaven. The wide world was a playground for the wild pandemonium of life. 
the wild pandemonium of life. One thing about being uh, growing up and becoming mature is developing a vocabulary which is based on an understanding of the way the world actually is. But I think the vocabulary is important because it gives people words to describe the situations that they're seeing. And if you get overwhelmed by life and you can't process through it and can't put words and feelings to things, it does become a pandemonium. Um, there was no ear that brought the confusion together in harmony, no guiding hand that intervened. No matter how a person could find consolation in life, hope was lost, so he thought. And hope remained lost. Then his soul grew concerned, and the more uh, he stared down at the anarchy into which everything seemed to have disintegrated, the more power it gained over him until it completely bewitched him. So you look down into your troubles, uh, it's just going to envelop you. If you look to God, it's going to strengthen you. I think Nietzsche said something along the lines that uh, don't tear, stare too much into the abyss because at some point it's going to stare back. His mind reeled and he himself plunged down into it and he lost himself in despair or even though uh, concern did not acquire such a seductive power over him, his soul nevertheless became aloof and alien. Yeah, that can happen too. People can um, just become, you know, there's one thing where you get too involved in it and too sucked into the drama or the chaos. But then there's also this op opposite response where you become aloof and alien to everything. It's kind of a hardening or a, a deadening. And be careful about dying to things because when you die, you lose both the good and the bad. If you lose your capacity for sorrow, to some extent you lose your capacity for joy. You can't just flick that emotional switch off and on. Um, he saw what others saw, but his eyes continuously read an invisible handwriting and everything. <clears throat> that is emptiness and illusion. <clears throat> so like Psalm and vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. Or he withdrew from people and mercilessly wore out his soul in cares. So that's two different responses, neither of which works. There's a lack of balance there. Needlessly, uh, wore ahead his souls and cares like a garment. Too much, too much, uh, too much of the dust of life got into the garment and worn it out. And gloomy thoughts and the barren service of turbulent moods. What did such a person lack? What did he fail to when he lost everything? What else bid but strengthening in the inner being? And people need to be taught that the world is broken, that the world has fallen. They need to develop that vocabulary. Like I just mentioned, they need to develop that reality. They need to know that God came into that and God uh, entered into that chasm. He entered into the catastrophe and threw his body into it and his soul and his spirit and his infinite um, love and his infinite capacity for uh, compassion. And he filled, he filled, that, he filled that gap. Um, but if people don't know that, if they have not been told that, they're not going to often be able to understand the, the scriptures. Uh, occasionally people are called directly by God. I know I was uh, to some extent. I had supernatural experiences and I don't know why. I don't know why God gave that to me, but he did. And uh, other people came along at some point and verified the message. Uh, but a lot of times our, our faith is built by seeing others who walk the walk and talk the talk. Not perfectly, of course, but they do it in such a way that you, they know they're you know that they're authentic and they're um, 
doing it with integrity. Um, but the person who had this concern in his soul before <clears throat> the arrival of that concern that comes from the outside, the person whose soul was never satisfied by joy in such a way that it lost concern about the witness, but was not overwhelmed by the external concern of such a way, and the possibility of joy vanished so long as he was still concerned about the witness. For him, the concern that came from the outside, little by little, became a friend. It joined the concern within him. It prevented him from being mistaken about life. It helped him to allow his soul to sink deeper and deeper into concern until it, dis uh, he, it discovered the witness. Then little by little, he became lighter and lighter. He gradually threw overboard the worldly weight of earthly desires and rested with uh, the witness of God and God. So you don't jettison like pleasure or possessions, but you jettison an inordinate attachment to those things, those things that keep you tied down to the world. So I like this idea that um, then little by little, he became lighter and lighter. He gradually threw overboard the worldly weight of earthly desires and rested with the witness in God, blessed by the hope that he had won. So there is then a hope that scripture declares that is gained through experience. And that's uh, Romans 5, 3 through 4. Um, blessed, um, blessed, um, let me start back here. Do, 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 do. You ever threw overboard the worldly weight of earthly desires and, rest, and rested with the witness in God, blessed by the hope that he had won. So he had won the hope like a prize. So there is then a hope that scripture declares is gained through experience. And so Jesus himself gained hope. He, uh, he faced the cross, but looked through the cross uh, to the resurrection. He knew that he would be raised from the dead. It wasn't a question to him. So he endured the cross for the joy set before him, as Hebrews says. What experience might scripture mean? Might it be uh, the experience in which a person makes sure that he obtains everything for what he hopes? Scripture says that this experience is the fruit of spiritual trial. But the world cannot take away such hope because it is acquired in tribulation and becomes strong, strong through tribulation. Adversity helped him to gain strengthening in the inner being, the person who learned what he learned from what he suffered. Again, that ties back to that verse in Hebrews about Jesus um, himself learning through what he, uh, what he suffered, uh, which, is a, which is a paradox that God who knows all can learn uh, by experience. God did not know what it was like to be human until he became human. You have to experience things often before you learn about them. And learn the good from what he suffered, gained not only the best learning, but what is much more, the best instructor. And the person who learns from God is strengthened in the inner being. Then if even if he lost everything, he would still gain everything. And Abraham possessed nothing but a burial in the place of Canaan. And Canaan was the, um, was the name of Israel before uh, Abraham uh, traveled there, was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees. I think Abraham initially was born and raised in uh, in uh, what's now Iraq. And he was a Semitic, he was of a Semitic uh, nationality, which uh, is derived from Shem, of course, uh, one of the sons of Noah. 
depending on how, se <clears throat> how seriously you take that lineage. Uh, I do. Uh, so everybody has to come from somewhere. Consider him the person who was wrong. He complains not about life, but about the people who corrupt everything and, and embitter what God made good. Consider him a bit more closely. You hardly recognize him from the time he was young and confident. And that is true. <laughs> you see life beat people up and you run into him 20 years later and you're like, man, what happened to that person? He went forth into the life of expectancy, his countenance so open, his heart so warm, his soul in such a hurry to meet everyone. But for him, there was only one delight and glory, but it did not remain that way. People's deceit, as he thought, had soon tricked him out of his faith. People's cunning had ridiculed his openness. People's coldness and selfishness had vitiated his enthusiasm. People's envy had plunged down his courage, his energy, his fervor, his proud strivings, and his glorious achievement into the same wretchedness in which they themselves live. However one bears life, he thought, people are lost. Then everything became confused. For him, there was no God. And I, I've kind of gone on this path already today. But I'll just reiterate, the young need to know that life is difficult. A lot of times when kids grow up and they go through schooling, they're told they can be anything they want to be and that all they have to do is dream it, uh, that somehow it'll come true. But nobody ever tells them, or it's rarer to tell people how hard it's going to be, how hard it's going to be to become that person they want to be and to expect difficulties and to expect trials and to expect failure and to normalize all those things that the world tends to want to treat like a vampire and, and uh, bring up the crucifix upon and, and draw it away and push it away. You need to let people know that life is difficult and uh, that they're going to suffer and, and people are not going to truly understand it until they go through it but at least you give again you give them a vocabulary and a way to label those feelings and emotions and those ideas when they happen so they're not confused and they don't get sucked in into the vortex. <clears throat> so you get into the fatherhood of God um, and that the person that doesn't come to God for that doesn't have any comfort to offer others either because they themselves are caught into a bad place. He hid from people in order... Uh, uh, he hid from people in order and solitude of soul to immerse himself in this, in his bleak wisdom, uh, to fathom the thought of despair and all its horror, or he became bent like a reed, uh, languishing uh, in a slowly consuming sadness of anxiety to himself and to everyone who witnessed how he was being snuffed out. You know, the world doesn't want to acknowledge the downside and when the faith, when Christians began to explain that the world has fallen and broken, we can be ac accused of pessimism. So on one hand, this is kind of what G.K. Chesterton kind of validates the gospel and the Bible, is that people can say we're being Pollyannish and pie in the sky if we, uh, if we are a little bit too flippant about adversity. And we say, God is just going to bless me and give me everything I want, and I'm on the up and up, I'm optimistic, I'm hopeful. People can accuse uh, Christians of being living in a, in a fantasy world. But then if Christians flip the, uh, flip the script and say, well, life is hard, it's difficult, and you know, sometimes it's going to kick you in the mouth, and sometimes it's going to kick you when you're down, we could be accused of being pessimists. So uh, the gospel gloriously merges both the, uh, the idea of uh, life can be good and life can be joyful and life can have moments of beauty and times of beauty and periods of, of peace and, and confidence and success 
And there can be a tragedy in the midst of that that can come out of nowhere. You can be sick or get in a car accident. Um, so the critics like to criticize either one side or the other side of the faith. But when you look at it, that's actually reality. Like we should be joyful in the midst of things. We should be thankful for the gifts that God has given us. But we shouldn't be naive or uh, Pollyannish about it. Um, and one who seeks God always finds. The scripture promises that. And one who seeks God always finds. I, I have friends, of course, that have come through the faith that now are walking away from it to one degree or another for various reasons. And I'm not saying people aren't justified to have questions that maybe they themselves didn't ever think about when they were younger. It's good to struggle with your faith. It's not something that should be bought too easily. Um, but I truly believe that... Um, if someone is seeking the truth, that they'll find Jesus Christ, because he says he's the way, the truth, and the life. So either Jesus is a liar, or that's actually true. And then people say, well, Jesus didn't actually say that, because um, you know the disciples kind of went back and redacted the sayings and created more. And I don't think that's a fair criticism. I think that's baloney. Uh, let Jesus stand on his own words, either take it or leave it, but don't 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 cop it out and say he didn't say it. Uh, that would be. Um, it's a dishonest. It's a dis dishonest way of approaching the issue. But one who seeks God is always fine, and he who con uh, constrains a person to seek help, uh, help to seek help. <laughs> let me see if I try this again. All right, let me start up at the top here. And one who seeks God always finds. That's a promise. And he who constrains a person to seek helps him to find. Then his soul and his concerns sought more and more inwardly until he found the witness. The person who loves God is strengthened in the inner being, and the person who loves people and only through this love learned, as it were, to love God has only an imperfect upbringing. But the person who loved God and in this love learned to love people was strengthened in the inner being. And so the two great commandments that were to love God and to love people. And I think if you just love people without loving God, you're going to be heartbroken. I don't think there's enough in the human soul to bear under the disappointment. Sometimes people are reciprocal. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they'll be thankful. Sometimes they won't. But I think if we're strengthened first by our relationship with God, he gives us his infinite supply to be compassionate and caring and forgiving of others. So I think it, you need these two things together. <clears throat> if someone denied him his love, <clears throat> then that person helped him to find God's love which is more blessed than anything that arose in a human heart. If some friend denied him comfort, then he helped him to find God's comfort, which is beyond measure. If the world denied him its approval, then it helped him to seek God's, which passes all understanding. Uh, so the person went from the lesser to the greater. And that's a good word. That's a confident word. It just drives you back to God, right? Build your foundation upon God, and then everything else can uh, bear the weight. Consider him the person who was tried, who was tested in, this, uh, in the distress of spiritual trial. Perhaps you did not see him very often, because spiritual trial does not always come with visible signs. He was tested in what he uh, we actually call adversity. He was not tested in what we actually call adversity. People did not forsake him. On the contrary, externally, everything was beautiful and friendly. Yet his soul was in distress, and since this was not due to the external world, he could not seek people's comfort either. Outwardly, everything was going well, and yet his soul was in anxiety, devoid of trust and bold confidence. He did not seek peace and tranquility in externals. 
And yes, his heart continued to be troubled. I think Soren's on to something here that someone could have outwardly all the things that the world would say you need and still be disappointed, still be troubled. Um, I can say from years and years and years of experience of working with teenagers that sometimes the most popular kids, the ones that think they have no worries, that we would think have no worries in the world, are upbeat and optimistic and do well in school and have a lot of friends. You know, when they come into the office and close the door, they often talk about the way their life actually is. And I had students tell me, well, I wish I was like such and such a person versus being themselves. And I said, well, be careful about what you wish for. Because I knew students' stories. The other student maybe didn't know, but I knew. So I was like, be careful about uh, wanting to be that person. I wouldn't get into the details. But I said, things are not always as they appear. And things are not always as they appear. So make sure you be careful just to be who you want to be. <laughs> And who God's called you to be. But the person whose soul, the inner being, announced itself in that concern of which we speak did not relinquish the concern. Even if he did not find the explanation, he nevertheless did find the explanation that he should wait for the explanation. (laughs) So he did not find the explanation, but that he should wait for the explanation. That was the explanation. (laughs) I like that. That's good. Should wait for the explanation. That's the explanation. He nevertheless did find uh, the explanation that God was testing him. He nevertheless, uh, nevertheless, did find the comfort that when God tests, the time of testing can certainly become very long. But that God can make up for everything because to him one day is a thousand years. So that comes out of Peter, and probably out of the Old Testament because Peter was fond of quoting the Old Testament. Then he became more and more calm in his distress. He did not flee the pain of spiritual trial. It became for him a confidant, a friend in disguise, even though he did not comprehend how, even though he strained his thought in vain to explain his riddle. But his calmness and humility increased in proportion to his concern. So those two things were in a relationship. His calmness and humility increased in proportion to his concern. The world would say that's an inverse relationship. As your concern goes up, your calmness, um, as your concern goes up, um, your calmness and humility go down. So you're more stressed out. But as your concern, let me see if I say this correctly. But as calmness and humility increased in proportion to his concern. So the world would say that the less concern you have, the more calm and more humble that you are. But um, some, so we're saying actually the opposite. As his concern increased, his calmness and humility increased. So that's a gift of God right there. Um, so that however much he suffered, he always chose to remain with his spiritual trial rather than to be any other place in the world. Then at last the witness dawned. And the full assurance of faith, because he who believes God, contrary to the understanding, is strengthened in the inner being. For him, the spiritual trial served as a strengthening in the inner being. He learned the most beautiful thing of all, the most blessed, that God loved him, because the one that God tests, he loves. And it's also the other way around, the one that he loves, he tests. But for such a person, for such a person then, excuse me. Having having more um, scratchiness today than usual. For such a person, then prosperity and adversity serve for strengthening the inner being. So it can be either. It doesn't matter what life gives them. But nobody can provide this strengthening for himself. Indeed, the one who receives a witness is not the one who gives it. 
Paul also reminds us of this in the text, because the witness itself is a gift from God, from whom every good and perfect gift for that comes from God. <clears throat> we have to look, <clears throat> let me try to get this over once and for all, because this, uh, this scratch in my throat is not going away. <clears throat> Sometimes you have to deal with it versus avoiding it or trying to be subtle about it. You just got to get it on the table. <clears throat> I think my vocal cords have been uh, rescued from the mucus. I'm not sure exactly what's going on here today. I haven't been smoking any cigars, so that's not it. I'm not allergic to anything, so it's not pollen or something. Soren makes a great a great point here as we continue on in this uh, upbuilding discourse, which we're coming towards the uh, conclusion. Only got about a page and a half after this page. Um, the fatherliness of God. God is our Father. And he says, The inner being looks not at the gifts, but at the giver. And I remember when I was going through my, uh, soon after my divorce, which was a heartbreak. Uh, it's the great failure of my life going through a divorce. I, I, I had tried from an early age, from my college years on, to live on the straight and narrow and to make good choices to recover some of the, the years that the locusts had eaten, and um, I, I waited to get married. I didn't. I didn't get married right out out of college. I waited until I was forty three years old because I thought I had dealt with things. <clears throat> I thought I was ready and mature, and I could handle being married and you know be a good husband and uh, raise kids and all that kind of stuff. So it, it was a great defeat uh, to go through the divorce, and doesn't reflect well on me. I don't think it reflects well on my former wife either and it's not something I'm proud of uh, again I don't think it was overt sin that caused the divorce it was just the brokenness and the struggle the struggles that both of us were going through and just time ran out and I I don't I don't fault my ex-wife for asking for a divorce I understand it I've forgiven it I I'm glad that she asked for it, it took courage to to admit that we were just at, at a an end point but I remember going through that and being very, very disconsolate. And I didn't lose my faith, but I, I lost my hope in a lot of ways. And I felt like I'd just become an ultimate failure. And it's not, not fun for me to talk about. I'm not one of these people that just talks about this all the time. Uh, but I was sitting down with a friend of mine who likewise had gone through other heartaches, not divorce, but struggles and trials with occupation and also uh, just money and difficulties with his kids and all kinds of things and you know what we got to and what he made said to me was god god wanted to give him give us himself he wanted to give us himself versus the gifts he wanted to give, give the giver so to speak and uh, god gives himself and i think that when he when he said that we were sitting down in the local craft brewery it's probably 12 years ago and we just talked about the relative heartaches that we had been through and that, you know, the gifts have been taken away, but God was still there giving himself, which is the greatest gift of them all. So uh, it was a good word, and it spoke to me, but the inner being looks not at the gifts, but at the giver. And so today I would encourage you, as you go through your life, the ups and downs and the sideways and uh, the upside downs, it's like a roller coaster, it's fun sometimes, but sometimes it kicks the crap out of you. It's just continuing to look to God. And admit that you're a sinner still. Uh, I had to admit in my marriage that I wasn't all that I should have been. I think ultimately we just took on too much. We were, we were trying to do great things. And um, I learned through that experience that great things cost a lot. I was going for a PhD. I was writing a book. I was working full time. She was traveling across the world working for a corporation. All these time zones. And we just wore out. 
Uh, we just ran out of energy and we broke ourselves in the process of being too ambitious. And I'd like to think that I was doing it for God, all those activities and all those endeavors. But there was a lot of ego tied into it too. It wasn't wickedness per se, but it was just an overarching desire to be somebody and to make an impact and to own that. It's kind of the purity of heart idea to want the rewards, to know that God worked through me in, in an unhealthy way. I was owning that. I wanted my... I wanted to be somebody great, and uh, these days I'm okay with just being good. That's all right. That works for me. So next week we should be able to finish up on uh, this upbuilding discourse, um, strengthening in the inner being. Thank you for joining again uh, today. And uh, Jeremiah and I, Jeremiah Miller and I, will get back together again. I think uh, probably what I'm envisioning is after we do a certain amount of discourses, have Jeremiah come back on, and we can count and review maybe two or three of them. Because uh, I think he has insight that I don't have and experiences I don't have, of course. So I think it's really great to have someone else on the podcast, and Jeremiah is a good a good uh, compatriot to do that with. Uh, so we're going to have him back on after I finish this discourse, and then we'll probably do two, three, and four uh, in conversation, and then we'll start on six sometime down the road. So that's it. Look to the giver, not the gift.